Aloha, everybody. This is Jason Jones, and I would like to welcome you to the to the pilot. Actually, it's more like the pilot episode of the Jason and Mario podcast. Actually, in the show, we ask you what you think we should call it, and we give you a few suggestions. I do want to preface before you jump in. It is our first show, and so the audio isn't the best, but we really want your opinion on the content. So our hope is to get it out there as soon as possible. And so we're going to send it out as is, and we'd love your feedback. So buckle up, get ready for the pilot episode of the Jason and Mario podcast. All right, Jason. So... Um, welcome to your first episode. You know, Mario, I was looking at my emails through our conversations, and it's been four months since we've been talking about this. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> and now it's we're actually time. doing it. And we've only known each other five months, so it's not so yeah. bad. It's not so bad. Taking it to the next level. What, what's the name of the podcast? Do you have a name yet? I do mm-hmm. not. Can I tell you the names I, I'm thinking about? Yes, go for it. Louder with Crowder. I was thinking of that, or maybe okay. the Joe Rogan experience. Okay. okay. Or and no, but seriously, I was looking at a shared vision with Jason Jones, the great campaign with Jason Jones. Okay, great campaign. Or just the Jason Jones show. And notice, I don't even mention you at all in any of the titles. That's horrible. You know what? I do think you're in the socials. So anybody that listens, I think those are the three options. Maybe they can they can give us a little bit of a, their feedback. Yeah. Can I tell you? Can I tell you the thinking behind the names? Sure. All right. The first one. A shared vision with Jason Jones. Uh, I think the biggest lie in America today is that we have never been more divided. Mm. And the nature of my work, I work on the the most controversial issue in the world is my passion, the abortion issue, right? So it's the number one most, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Mario? It's the most divisive issue. It's the most painful issue, divisive. It's the most personal issue. So for a lot of us, it's not just some distant theoretical, you know, debate. It's, it's something intimate, uh, something we've all maybe experienced. So it touches us personally. Yeah. Um, so, and I travel the country and in talking about this controversial issue all over the world, all over the United States for almost 30 years, what I have come to see is that Americans really do not disagree on anything. Yeah. We all want the same things. We want everyone to be treated with respect. We want to be kind. We want to be thoughtful. We want everyone's child to go to a good school, to have great economic opportunity, to have the best health care. But we radically disagree on how to achieve our shared vision. And that's a lot different than in different periods in U.S. history. Not too long ago when we had Jim Crow in legal segregation in 1945, a young Jewish girl one Miss America, and there were riots in the streets across the United States in the shadow of the Holocaust. People were rioting because they were so offended that a young Jewish girl would win Miss America. So the idea that we've never been more divided is absurd. And so that's something I would like to do on the show is because a lot of people think I'm conservative and I'm very conservative, um, (laughs) obviously. But at the same time, we could have I want to have a lot of liberal friends of mine on to talk about how What's the best way to achieve our shared vision? And it's, I do not think it's productive to pretend that we're divided when we're not. We're not. We're united. Our country is as united as our families. And we all in all of our families, we have people we love who disagree. We disagree with passionately on how to achieve our shared vision. A hundred percent. So that's 100%. was that too long and rambling? No, that's beautiful. Is, I, I just, you just brought my uh, hopes up to the future of this country. But don't you think it's true? Absolutely. I, I actually, in this chapter of my life, when I've, you know, because I'm a re- recovering relativist, I think I've told you a few times. And uh, as I've dived deeper into subjects, it, it's a it's a theme that comes up. I, I think I've heard uh, Mr. Rubin from like Rubin Report. I, you know that guy? I love that guy. He, <laughs> and he's a progressive, right? But I, a love, progressive. I love that guy. But the, the biggest thing, one of the, the gospels that he's sharing is uh, is like, let's dialogue. Let's not close the doors. Let's not call each other names um, until somebody else calls your name. Um, and 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally shared vision, being able to like, it's okay to disagree. Let's dialogue it out. Let's show evidence. Um, is there a good example of like a time in history? I guess this is a bit of a uh, diversion, but like a, a good time in history where dialogue did uh, prevail. Can you? I mean, I think that's the story of America. It's it's yeah. it's been over two hundred years of a scratching and crawling to to live out the the founders' dream. The founders had a vision that was better than who they were, right? Because they came from the old world, and that founding principle that all men are endowed by God with inalienable rights was was recognized by men from the old world, men who had inherited slaves, men who had owned slaves, men who had held uh, very powerful religious prejudice. And it'd be, it'd be unfair to judge them by, by the progress that they laid the tracks for. And so they gave us, to me, that declaration principle it's the first time a polity was organized around this idea of the incomparable beauty of the human person. And so I think we just we're we're we're, we're in some ways we're getting closer to it. In other ways, like the abortion issue, we're drifting, uh, drifting radically uh, from it. Um, but I just think, you know, we love each other now. Y you and I are both in, in interracial marriages. I tell my wife, I wish we would have been married in the 60s when it would have been romantic and adventurous. <laughs> now it's cliche. <laughs> you know, I wish we could have been married when it was illegal. But that's the, that's, that's the point, right? It was illegal yeah. um, in, in the life of my father in many states for me to have married my wife. And so this is, we not only do we love each other, we are each other and our grandchildren, we, we share grandchildren in common. And, you know, I always tell people there's two ways to look at your family tree. You can look, you know, back in history and you can say, oh, look there, I'm, I just did my DNA and you can see all the things that you are. I was surprised to find that I'm Greek and I'm Arab and all of these things. And um, that's one way to look back. But then the other way is to look forward. The other way is to look forward. And, and who are our children and grandchildren going to marry? And then you realize we are one family and we love each other. And when politicians try to foment a faux division where there's not, not that we're, you know, we're perfect, you know, this is not a utopia, but find me a, a place where a political community has been more united in the history of the world than the United States today. And it ain't going to happen. That's also beautiful, Jason. Um, you're talking about like the American experiment being like a dialogue of centuries. And uh, I like that. Um, I'm curious why you want to call it great campaign. But before we get into that, is there any way that you can shave a little bit of your audio just a little down? Because I think we're on the red and sometimes when you're speaking. OK, yeah, there might be a little like button on the microphone. I think I see it on, on my side. Do you see it? OK, I do. OK, so I'm going to talk like this. <laughs> Is that better? Yeah. Hi. Um, We're taking yeah. requests. Sally from Idaho wants air supply. This is going out to Jim. Is that better? That's better. See, I get, um, I get so enthusiastic. I'll let, um, I'll let you know. The good Great news campaign. Is, what? Go ahead. Uh, the good news is, like, right now, I think only six of my friends are listening. And this is the first podcast. When I used to work for a big radio network 20 years ago, they, that we were we were told that it takes about a year for a host to find his voice. So um, this is our first podcast, and I've, I've learned I need to shave it a little bit. The Great Campaign. The Great yeah, Campaign. Yeah, what about, what about that one? Okay, this is my strategy to take a weakness and make it a strength. Um, in doing this podcast, the biggest challenge has been I travel quite a bit. And I travel not only all over the United States, but all over the world. In the next, next six months, I'll be going uh, to some of the Gulf states. I'll be going to Iraq and Syria. I'll be going to Poland and Ireland and, and, and all over the United States. And so that makes it challenging to do a regular podcast. But I thought, you know, I have organized my life since I was 17 to advance the dignity of the human person, to protect the vulnerable from violence. And I've always wanted to reach people in um, better and better and more influential ways. And so if I'm traveling the world and I'm meeting interesting people, that can become a part of the podcast. So a weakness that I'm traveling, if we build it into the structure of the show and we call it the great campaign, it's it's it makes sense. So this is why Jason's in. Kurdistan today. This is why Jason's in Doha today. This is why Jason's in Dublin today. So it's to try to build the weakness or the or the challenge 
for us in doing this podcast, building it into the structure of the the podcast to make it make sense to folks. That's awesome. I like that one too. I wonder if there's a way to integrate them both, but we might have to choose. Um, the other one's a Jason Jones show, right? That's right. And and that's because there's a lot of podcasts I listen to that have these clever names. Yeah. I never remember the names of the show, and I just remember the name of the host. Like one of my favorite podcasts is the Catholic Vote podcast with Stephen Harriet. To me, it's just the Stephen Harriet show. And I think they just changed their name from the Catholic Vote podcast to the Stephen Harriet show, which makes sense to me because I never thought of it as the Catholic Vote podcast. Yeah. I never. Go ahead. I never think of the Joe Rogan experience. I think I'm going to listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's fair. I think I I have heard some people say that. yeah, our focus is uh, slightly changed throughout the years. So to like attach yourself to a particular name can be challenging sometimes because you move on and you'd love this podcast to exist for for years and um, and and to just put your name on it gives that flexibility. So I like that one too. Well, I, that's why I appreciate you goading me to do this because it's something I've really wanted to do for years, but I've wanted to do it right. And um, and the other reason I've been hesitant, and this is going to be my apology. Can I do an apology and why? Yeah, I'm, go for it. Why I'm doing a podcast? All right, that and, and what I, why I've been hesitant. So my mission to me is very simple, but the biggest complaint or recommendation I get from friends and mentors is that I spread myself too thin that I'm working on too many projects and I really need to focus. And what they mean by that is, I think they'd be excited when I say, oh, I have a new book coming out, or did you read my article recently? But they may have me in a, shouldn't you be making movies or marketing movies bucket? And, um, or I might write on immigration or war, and they'll say, you need to just write about abortion. And what frustrates me is, the first article I ever published was on war. I've been writing on immigration and war for 20 years. I've been writing on abortion for 20 years. And for me, it's always been just one thing, protecting the vulnerable from violence, telling the truth about how beautiful and dignified the human person is. That's my very simple mission. And then communicating that message, whether it's through a book. You know, in the old days, I made brochures. Or once I, uh, in my organization's early days, in the early 2000s, we made book covers to give to students, you know, these, what I called whole life book covers to what get they say, well, they just had different, you know, facts on human development or facts in different ethnic and religious minorities. And they were book, you know, remember in the old days, they don't do this anymore. So we stopped, Yeah. yeah. but you'd put book covers on books. Yeah, I remember the, the, the ones that, that, that come in with the books that you buy right now. Right. Is, these are different. These, would be, these, these are, are just for tax slip ons for, okay, for students. These are the, Okay. You know, when we were kids, we would often use uh, paper garbage bags. Gotcha. You're probably you're probably too young for that. But we would, <laughs> we would cut up paper garbage bags, and then we would yeah. write art. You know, we write. I would draw football plays on mine, but you know. So I, we made these book covers. So I've always been. You know, we do T-shirts. Uh, it's a big thing that I do is we we have these Image of God T-shirts, these Image of God backpacks. Make movies, write articles. The first place I started was actually radio. You know, I was on radio before I ever gave my first speech or wrote my first article. I kind of tripped into radio in the mid '90s with State Representative Mark Moses and Mayor Frank Fossey, who is the mayor of Honolulu, who built really built this city. And um, so, you know, I've always so I'm criticized for you need to just do one thing, just make movies or just write. But here's the problem: what people don't understand the average film takes seven years from once you have a script to getting it to the screen. That's average. Now, getting the script right, I'm working on two projects right now. Getting the script right has been very, very, very challenging. And uh, that can take quite a bit, quite a while. You know, a film that I worked on, Little Boy, took a lot longer than we thought. Even Crescendo, my short film, took four years. And you read, you read, yeah, four years to get that film from concept to our our theatrical fundraising event release. And there's a lot of opportunities for me to write a weekly column or to give speeches, you know, da, 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 da. And so to me, this podcast fits right along in there. And this is really, again, just an extension of me trying to do what it is I see as my mission as a Catholic, we call it. This will not be a Catholic apostolate. I am a Catholic, so it'll be Catholic. And you're Catholic. It'll be Catholic insofar as we're formed we hope, well-formed Catholics, but we have a lot of other interests. Uh, but the reason I, I want to do this podcast is um, I think it's just, I should have done started to this a long time ago. Just another way to share what I'm writing about. The people I meet 
you know, you know, Mario, I meet the most beautiful people in the world. Can I share with you? I got a call today. Yeah. Yeah. I got a call today from a man. He called me a friend of mine in the music business. She's a big deal. Had a gentleman call me. She introduced us by text. He is a manager to some of the biggest hip hop artists in the world. The biggest. I'll even say it's the biggest and some of the biggest. And um, he has a bunch of children and he's an African-American guy he's in his early 50s. And as a young man, he lost a child to an abortion that, that he didn't know was happening. Changed his life. He's passionate about this issue. And here I am talking about one of the most influential people in the music business for an hour today about abortion. Yeah. And I meet these folks. I meet celebrities and politicians and pregnancy center directors, missionaries on the front lines uh, in the war against ISIS in the Middle East. And so that's the big grace of my apostolate is I meet the most beautiful people in the world. And I'd like to share those folks with the world. And so many times I've thought, I just wish this conversation, like today, this conversation I had made my heart leap. This was Mm. a beautiful man. His story was very similar to mine. He joined the army when he found out his girlfriend was pregnant and she had actually had an abortion without telling him. And when he got, went after 10 months after conception and he gets home from AIT and there's no baby, he finds out what happens. Mm. But I meet these wonderful people, these courageous people, these talented people. And I'd like to share them with the world. So that is another reason I want to do this podcast. And I can say about five times a week, I just have a conversation like that in the nature of my work with folks. But I just don't want people to think I'm being distracted. This is something I'm doing every day. You and I talk all the time. John Zmirak, who's my writing partner, we talk daily on our projects. And I wish I wish these conversations could be recorded because John Zmirak... He, if, if, if Eric Vogel and, and Eric Vogel was one of my favorite political philosophers, he was Hitler's nemesis writing against Hitler in the twenties. Could you imagine he identified Hitler as a threat in the twenties and was writing against Hitler and the Nazis? And people said, Oh, why are you worried about this French kook? And he ended up having to run from his life because Hitler was hunting him wow. when he came to power. And it, but to me, John Zmerich is like a modern Eric Vogel, but he's from Queens. And he's got an attitude problem. <laughs> and I wish I could share those conversations with folks. But thanks to you, um, now we're going to be able to do that. And so that's my apology on this podcast. And like everything I do, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, it's a column. And with this podcast, uh, we're, it's going to be div- it's going to be going all over the place as diverse as my life is hanging out with an MMA fighter one day and a, and a Franciscan missionary the next. But really... I hope that this podcast thrusts out into the uh, what do we call this space now? It's what's it called? Um, the, the aerospace, the, the, the hyper Ethernet, hyperspace, eth, whatever, whatever, whatever this space is now that podcasts live. Um, I hope that it's we're we're elevating how people see the human person, how people see them, uh, how I see people is how I want people to see themselves is incomparably beautiful. And that's the goal of this podcast is to reveal the incomparable beauty of the human person in just another way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's another question that our listeners might have is, is who am I? This guy right here. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mario. So you're, I'm, I'm a, you're a big deal. And you know, you're in a, in, in a space where I don't know how much you can say about who you are. So you, yeah, you, I, you, I, you, you're kind of, a, are you going to be a mystery? Or are you going to let people know who you, you are? You know what? I, I'll give I'll give them shadows and clues and breadcrumbs, but I'm definitely a, a digital filmmaker. So while uh, you, Jason, has specialized at least one of your uh, one of your specializations is uh, feature filmmaking and the like high end, high quality film. I'm I'm in I'm in the digital space, and we met at uh, at March for Life. And I think one of the things I I told you within a, a few conversations was I love the podcast realm and so does a bunch of people and you need to have a podcast because you have a gift. I think we were talking yesterday. Every time we talked, it, it, you, you it, it's like jazz. 
and um and uh, the way that you're able to like help me understand the world because i'm catholic i'm still forming like myself it's been a few years uh since i returned uh, into the church and uh and i'm still forming my mind and trying to understand why i believe certain things and i, I see the value in having these relationships with, with when because because you you've really well thought out have have thought out a lot of things and, and i love understanding and and uh, so i'm a bit of a padawan but also it, it's cool because it, it probably will bring a bit a bit of a fresh take and uh in, in questioning a little bit of you the ways that you think and breaking those down because I don't, I don't come from a really strong um background in regards to theology or uh, social justice or or that stuff so i guess that's that's my realm do you think that's enough for now well yeah i'm not going to go any further i don't want to get you in trouble <laughs> i'm always with my friends like you i'm always insecure in how much i can share or tell with folks um be, again because i might i don't want to embarrass you with things that i'll say i don't i'll say whatever i want um but sometimes what i say comes back and stings other folks and yeah but you and i are the same i think in that we're self-taught so i'm a dilettante i think like all self-taught people are they're there are going to be huge gaps in my knowledge, especially on theology and, and, and philosophy. I went to, to undergrad and, and grad school and studied philosophy, but, but I am really a dilettante and more self-taught than formally educated on these subjects. So I think maybe that's where we're both coming from, but it's a love. We love theology. We love philosophy because we love Jesus Christ and we love our neighbor. And that's going to be the heart of this podcast, right? Our shared love of Jesus Christ and our neighbor. And this isn't a Christian podcast either, but I can't, that's, that's it. I mean, if you're a Christian, I love God and that, that, <laughs> that forms, that forms, you know, that forms everything. And I love, I love my neighbor. That doesn't mean if you cut me off in traffic, I might not follow you home and challenge you to a fight in your, in your driveway. Okay. I'm not, <laughs> I might just do that. I'm not a saint, yeah. but I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, hey, Jason, we wanted to talk about some things uh, going on in the news today, I think. Yeah, I mean, I wanted, you want to touch on some of those. Yeah. Can we talk about. Um, so, first of all, maybe we could talk about Ireland. And I, I wrote an open letter to the people of Ireland, not because I have delusions of grandeur and, and think that I'm the people of Ireland are going to sit down and have a discussion. Oh, Jason Jones wrote us a letter. Let's see what he has to say to us. Um but I often do things like that. I write a lot of open letters and it's like spitting in the wind. Mm. I just want to say something. I mm. feel if it were 1937, I would want to say something if I was in Germany. I would just want to say something. I would want to be on record as of having said something. And I want to be on record on what is going on in Ireland. The Irish Constitution, the people of Ireland voted last week to remove an amendment that granted, that recognized the truth that all human beings deserve protection from violence, legal protection from violence is the fundamental responsibility of a polity, of a political community. And the Constitution in Ireland recognized that. And that's really been sort of fundamental about who the people of Ireland were. But in the wake of scandals in the Catholic Church, and as a convert who, who comes from a an anti-Catholic, I grew up with the strong anti-Catholic prejudice. The scandals in the church have not rocked me. I grew up hearing worse. So when I looked at the Catholic church, I, I, I looked at it as an adversary and it was in studying the church to attack the church that I became Catholic. So these scandals don't undermine my faith. But to the people of Ireland, it was devastating. It was really devastating. And the abortion industry took advantage of that and sort of a mm -hmm. cathartic release or a cathartic rebellion. The people of Ireland voted. It's a way to get even at your father is always how I see it. Like this is the one dad, you know, dad cheated on mom. What's the one thing I can do to hurt dad more than anything? Is that a good analogy? I don't know. Yeah, I, I follow but I think the people of Ireland sort of rebelled out of a pain. Now it has to go to the legislature. They have to introduce legislation now to to legalize abortion. But my friends in Ireland think that's going to happen. Um, and then they will be building abortion clinics in Ireland. And so as a Catholic, you know, at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., we all meet after the march at the Dubliner and we go to the Dubliner oh, because no we way. celebrate Ireland. Mm. And if you're from Ireland and you're listening, 
you know, you might be thinking this isn't the business of Americans, but as a Catholic in America, it hurts us. Like it's, it's, it's a personal sting because we took such pride in how Ireland was resisting the spirit of the age. Like that's what the Irish are known for. They don't, they don't take the soup, you know, they Mm. will die before they take the soup. They will, they have been standing up to the most powerful empire in the world for 800 years, you know, and now they are conforming to sort of the ideology of Great Britain. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. So that was why I wrote this open letter. Now, was to give them hope that the pro-life movement in America was birthed with Roe versus Wade. And hopefully this is the birth of now the Irish can reclaim uh, the love that they have for children, a love that they came to really understand in the potato famine, that that really formed the culture of Ireland because the loss of all of those children, they, they came to see life is so precious so valuable. And I hope that they that they reclaim that. And I am hopeful that that can happen and maybe that they can lead um, a campaign all across Europe. Because and I don't mean to ramble on this. No, that's fine. But the abortion issue to me is foundational. Now, my own personal experience uh, with abortion is what kind of woke me up to the dignity of the human person. But but putting my own personal experience aside, it, it was Western civilization was built on wrestling with what does it mean that God became man? What does it mean that the second person of the Trinity, what is a person? What is this person of a Trinity? What does it mean that the second person of the Trinity became man? What does it mean that we were made in the image and likeness of God? That meditating on that is what ended slavery. It's what ended human sacrifice. You know, it's what ended um, all sorts of oppression and gave us ideas that even today we all agree that we should be tolerant, kind, thoughtful, care for the poor. That all came from our civilization meditating on what does it mean for God to become man? What does it mean for the second person of the Trinity to be? And, and, you're, and you're saying not, not only from like the words of Christ himself, but just the, the act of existence or like of God entering in the flesh. Yeah. Not, uh, you know, aside from his words, just just the mere fact. Yeah. And then the second century, first, second, third, fourth century, fifth, sixth, seventh. They're thinking about this, right? Writing about this, thinking about this, wrestling with this. That's why they call it the good news, the gospel. What's the good news? The good news is that we have a transcendent destiny, that we have a dignity and beauty. And so sometimes when people on the left say that abortion is a religious issue, they are right. When it comes down to it, it's an anthropological issue. It's uh, how, what do you see the human person as? So if you see us as an animal, well, then of, then again, yeah, all ethics become absurd. Yeah. And Nietzsche was right. And um, or you see the human person as having an incomparable dignity. Now, a lot of people who are listening might say, well, I believe human beings have an incomparable dignity. And I don't I don't believe in God. For example, I was an atheist in the pro-life movement for 13 years. Well, yeah, but you were born into a civilization that had been wrestling with this idea for 2000 years. You've inherited it. You know, if, if you were born you know, 700 years ago and you were an Aztec, you, you wouldn't have had this idea of the inviolable dignity of the human person that, that came with, um, Christianity. It's Christian anthropology. Yeah. Oh my gosh. By the way, like I hate to take it to that realm, but like the book that you recommended and that you sent over for the Aztecs, what was, what was that name? The name of the book? Our lady of Guadalupe conquest of darkness. Oh my gosh. It's ha- so have good. You finished I think it? I- I think I'm like halfway or almost three quarters through. It is amazing. We'll put it in the in the show notes as well. We'll put we'll put a link to your to your article as well in the, in the description and show notes okay, in the great. actual podcast. Uh, um, I'm yeah, so, that was an amazing book. Well, I wanted to have a section if we could formalize this where we ask each other what we're what we're reading this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that. So because I know for both of us, we're if you can see behind me, they can't. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, it's a wall of books. Yeah, I am yeah. really just a bibliomaniac. If yeah. the cult, if the the war against the vulnerable wasn't raging, I would teach coach football and read and write. That's, that's my heaven. And, uh, but that book, Our Lady of Conquest, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Conquest of Darkness, 
a beautiful book. It's on Cortez and his obsession to end human sacrifice. Mm. And not a perfect yeah. man, by the way, but he risked his life. He risked dying brutally to protect a different. I mean, think how alien the uh, Native Americans must have seen to Cortez. It must have been so unusual, but yet this is a man who said, I'm going to risk having my beating heart ripped out of my chest to protect them from human sacrifice. It is intense. And you know what's my favorite part is just because we've all heard it. We've all heard Aztec sacrifice, human sacrifice. We've all heard it. But just to be immersed for 30 minutes every day, <laughs> you suddenly see this picture of this demonic horrifying and i'm sure not the entire culture there's a lot of things that they did that i'm still trying to learn but just that side of it like it took 15 seconds for a priest to rip open the chest of a human being at the top of these and every 20 days or something i think they would like sacrifice uh, between hundreds and thousands every 20 days to, to a particular god just like that sounds like just paint a picture in your mind for five seconds that sounds like in, terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah, but at least they were honest. You know, and here's the thing. It's all pre-Christian societies do the same things. Like, yeah. you know, the, the Northern Europeans were brutal. Julius Caesar in his in his diary said that, you know, my ancestors, the people of the British Isles, were the most brutal barbarians the world has ever known. And he would he went into great t- detail on on all of their disgusting habits and behaviors because they didn't have this concept. Uh, they didn't understand the inviability of the human person. They were just wandering, literally lost in the world. Literally, they didn't know who they were. They didn't know what they were made for. And they were as intelligent as you or I. These weren't their brains were like ours. Their nervous system was like ours. They just didn't know who they were. And um, we are with, with Jesus Christ entering the world. Then, you know, through the Jews, the world get to know who God they got to know who God was. They get to know who God is. We get to know who God is. We get to know who we are. I was yeah. I got to give the um, one of the most beautiful privileges of my life last week. I was the commencement address speaker for a, a school, a small junior high in Hawaii in a, in um, one of the lower probably, you know, one of the if not the poorest one of the poorest communities in Hawaii, mm-hmm. but it was a Catholic school, mostly Filipino, Micronesian, Samoan kids. And I got to give the commencement address. And I, t- I told these young people how privileged they were because they know who they are and they know what they were made for. I said, can you imagine that we were made to love God and we were made to love our neighbor? I said, could you imagine going to air conditioned repair school for eight years, 12 years, 22 years, and not know what an air condition is for? I said, but we have university professors with PhDs all over the world who don't know what the human person is for. Mm. What a waste of education. What a waste of education. So that that was, I would say the things that I am grateful for. Last month, I got to speak in Washington, D.C. to some of the most influential people in the world. And I'm thankful for that. But... I don't get nervous for that. I was really nervous to talk to this small group of junior high kids. And um, it's because I know what treasure they are, you know? That's beautiful. Um, The other thing that I think we wanted to talk about a little little bit of the Roseanne Barr situation, I think is pretty on the news right now. I'm curious what you think about it. I know it's a, it could be a little tricky of a subject. Yeah, no, I, I'm just going to say, you know, one thing is, you know, Mario, and if you're listening to this show, you're my friend. You know me. <laughs> I'm just going to speak plainly. Yeah. Um, obviously, I haven't been the biggest fan of Roseanne Barr when she did her disgusting rendition of the national anthem. and But is working in the film business has given me a different perspective because I have friends who are celebrities and I see how they're how they're under a microscope and I see how they may be struggling with depression or uh, addiction or other things and how it can really spiral out of control. And what she tweeted was really over the line. Mm. But then you have to ask yourself, is she racist? Mm. I do not believe she's a socialist. She's still an avowed socialist, uh, but she's a nationalist. I think she's kind of a socialist who wants what's best for America. She's mm-hmm. all over. She believes in conspiracy theories. <laughs> and, you know, she believes Bush was behind 9-11. She believes a lot of crazy things that we know she believes. Yet she still had a show. 
as she should. By the way, then she tweets something out that could be taken one way. She said she meant it to another, but it, you know, it really to me was crossing the line. But then you have to ask the question: Do I think Roseanne Barr is a racist? Not in a million years. Mm. Not in a million years. And then do I believe her excuse that she was taking Ambien and she was whatever she called it, Ambiening out? I do believe that. I think that's probably true. And I think she may be bipolar. She may struggle with depression. But here's a Jewish woman. And I have a lot of friends who are stand-up comedians who is a stand-up comic who is in that world for decades around the most diverse group of people in the world. If she was had any kind of prejudice, she would have been thrown out long ago, ferreted out. She would have been excluded. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have had friends. She wouldn't have had a community of support. She wouldn't have had writers to partner with. So we should forgive people, you know, and not just, you know, when uh, uh, what's this woman's name? We said something horrible about the first lady. She's married to a guy named Jason Jones. I should know her name. Something B. Samantha B. Some, something mm, like that. Yeah, that's right. Samantha B. The she, Daily Show, yeah. She said something repugnant, disgusting, and I wouldn't watch her show. I don't think she should lose her job for it. You, you know, when you see somebody like a Charlie Sheen who has a breakdown because he's bipolar, suffering with addiction, and we stare at it and we follow him around in his most private moments when he's in despair and depressed and we capture what he says and we look at it and then we hold him accountable. All of us have loved ones who struggle or maybe we struggle with depression or all of these things. Would we want to be held accountable for what we've done or said in our worst moments? Not at all. The problem with social media is we don't need the paparazzi to follow us around anymore. The, the celebrities, when they're having their breakdowns, can communicate to the world. I'm hoping that we come out of this and instead of being Puritans, get putting scarlet letters on everybody, we learn to be charitable, thoughtful, forgiving, kind, uh, not taking cheap shots, trying to get an unfair advantage to advance something political. I disagree with Roseanne Barr on my most passionate issue, abortion. But I'm not going to use something that she said um, in a moment of weakness or while on medication to then take her down to achieve. Why? Because, Mario, we we recognize that she has an incomparable dignity, beauty, and worth, and we should treat her the way we would want to be treated. And I do not want to be held accountable for the things that I have done in the worst moments of my life. I said on a podcast the other day that Donald Trump, a lot of us have lived lives like Donald Trump. The difference is Donald Trump has worn his life on his sleeve. You know, and so I think of a lot of us, if you could look at how we've lived our lives, how we've treated people or whatever, and it were public, it wouldn't look much different than Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, he's just been a public figure since either, since I was in diapers. Yeah. So is that is that enough? I don't know. What do you think about this, Roseanne? Situation? Yeah. Do you disagree? With, I, mean, well, that, I, I want you I, to disagree with me. I, you know what? I. I do agree. I guess what stood out to me is how quickly how quickly the judgment was made. Um, if, if I think uh, Joe Rogan said, uh, like, the, the axe was sharpened. Like, it was ready. <laughs> they were ready to go. And uh, so that was really rash. And uh, I guess, I, I mean, it's a private company, I guess. Is it a private company? Yeah, I mean, they could do what they want. Yeah, they could do what they want. So, um, but, you know, before the all the evidence comes in and they'd sit her down and try to understand where she's coming from, they just they just cut it. And, you know, again, free country, but... I just thought that was really quickly. And then on the definition side, I guess the the racism thing, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I could definitely see how it could be racist, um, it, like the statement itself. Um, but I, I'm, I, I guess... I guess the whole like I guess uh, what is it ape and an African American that that's the illusion I guess like I, I I'm, I'm I grew up in Nicaragua so I, I sometimes I'm a little foreign to these sort of maybe Americanisms but um I, I just I didn't know what I would have asked her if she said that out loud I would be like what do you I lo- I love that I love that. I think it's racist to think anytime a white person uses monkey or ape (laughs) involving a black person, it's racist. But maybe I'm sure I'm sure oftentimes it is. I was that that company that made an ad in Sweden and it was a little boy. There's a little Uh, boy that had a shirt on that said, I'm a little monkey. And the world went nuts. And it was the boy was black. He was like six, five years old. And what I love is here's the one thing I know. The person that made that 
ad, and I, I think he was a European, mm-hmm. didn't have a racist bone in his body. <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't thinking, this Swedish director wasn't thinking that. And you say, well, he's, he has to be sensitive. Well, you don't know what you don't know. And so I think the NAACP should give that guy an award, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for showing how great of a humanitarian he is. Mm. Um, and, you know, another time I do think people say things that are, that, that do hold on to prejudice. Yeah. Uh, right. And being a white guy in Hawaii, I've had to, this is where I've gotten to think about it a lot because you can be on the other side of it. You get to be the minority and mm-hmm. you get to have people not like you because you're white. And so I've had to be thoughtful about that. And, and I've had to say, you know what? I don't get mad at it. I try to be thoughtful about it and, and, and I don't hate them for it. And um, I try to be understanding. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But what's interesting is you have someone like Samantha B who says something God awful says, yeah, I shouldn't have said it, but I think it, and she, yeah. she doesn't lose her job. Roseanne says, listen, I was having an ambient breakdown. It's horrible. What I said, I don't think it, I don't feel it. I don't mean it yet. She's fired. Yeah. Um, and that, and it, it by the yeah. way, it's not the African American community that's calling for her head. It's virtue signaling white people. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And then I, I don't know if you heard that. I guess they're, they're calming down, but one of the responses, I guess, for everybody that was supporting um, Roseanne was uh, was it Bill Maher that uh, they, they took like a clip of him like comparing Trump to an orangutan or something like that. And but did you, have you seen this? No, I haven't. No. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the, the double standard. But I guess I haven't gone deep into the the subject. But um, and the problem uh, with President Trump is here's the deal. He is part of the problem. I'm very happy with his presidency. He, mm-hmm. he he's destroyed ISIS. He's been great for the, my friends, my friends, my Kurdish friends, my Yazidi friends. He could be a lot better in standing up yeah. to Turkey and Iran and the government of Iraq, but. ISIS is no longer, you know, the massive threat that it was. It had been degraded. There's never been a better president on the life issue. But we have to recognize this is a guy who's built a career around saying really awful things publicly to people and about people. And and but, you know, he is who he is. People are who they are. I guess we should just let them talk. But I have a quick temper. You know, I, I was an atheist till I was 30. I have a lot of bad habits and I'm quick to want to take people down and say horrible things. And I've, I just have to discipline myself, mm-hmm. you know, and um, maybe I slip. I don't even know if I slip that much. I don't know. But, but uh, I don't think it's constructive. I don't do it even because of charity. I just think it's, yeah. undi- it's undignified, you know, yeah. to, to say things like that about somebody else in public. Yeah. That's, that's undeniable for sure. Calling somebody names. Um, what is it? Uh, what is it like? Uh, uh, fight, fight arguments, not uh, not people. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, it's just it's it's undignified. Is um, John Zmerich put in his recent article? Uh, he wrote a great article today on on. Um, on on Roseanne, and he said, "I never watched the show because, you know, being around." Um, Overweight white trash is the story of my life. I was, <laughs> I was like raised by that. And so I, you know, I growing up, I kind of looked around at my environment and said, not that I've done a good job, but I just said, I want to, I want to be a dignified, I want to have dignity. And, um, so I, I, I hope I wouldn't resort to that. Although sometimes I'm tempted. <laughs> um, so anyways, maybe we, let's go into a little bit of books and then maybe we can, we can wrap it up, wrap it up. What do you think? Yeah, no, that would be great. Okay, so, oh, tell me, so tell us what you're reading. So you you, you were reading, you, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm reading Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Kingdom of no, what? Our, Our Our Lady of Guadalupe at the Conquest of Darkness. Conquest of Darkness. That's a long name. Um, I'm reading that one. I tend to juggle books. Are you, do you do that as well? Because I have a bit of like a literary. ADD. Yeah, but what I do is to organize it is I pick topics. So, pick topics. <laughs> Look at that. You know, I, I picked I, I pick areas of study and say, okay, I'm gonna like this this month. I'm studying Saint John, the writings of Saint John and his students, the, mm. the church fathers that sort of came from his you know sort of his school of thought mm. and Irenaeus yeah. and um, Ignatius. And so I do that so I can bounce around a little bit and but feel like I'm being constructive. That's, that's awesome. That's a good way to approach it. 
Um, I guess, yeah, on my end, three books come to mind. I might be reading a few more, but three books come to mind since we didn't plan for this. Um, one is 12 Rules of for Life, right? Uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan Peterson, yes. So we can talk a little bit about that. The other one is Peter Kreeft, which I saw that you quoted, I think, today. <laughs> on, I love that guy. The, just the way that he just writes. I'm right in sync. Sometimes I visualize author and the reader as being like two waves. But sometimes they just like at the same time, the frequencies match. And, and he's like that for me. And I'm reading one on angelology called Angels and Demons, I think it's called. Or that might be the the Dan Brown book. <laughs> I forgot exactly what it is. No, I think, that, I think that's it. It's a yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's the title. It's so interesting. Like, I, it's just a part of the faith that I haven't explored. I'm like, really? I, I believe, you know, I, I centered my focus on the Trinity and, 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 and praying to Jesus and praying, you know, and asking Mary for prayer prayers and so on but angels i keep them around but i just i want to learn more about more about them and and i i guess i'm still in the first tenth of the book and and it does talk about that they they do they can be enfleshed like they can appear to be human sometimes and that's an actual thing that we can believe i mean it's scriptural it just blows my mind if that's the case that is right that is right <laughs> um and then the last book, I think I forgot. Oh, I guess I'm reading like a uh, Catholic answer books on just makes it so easy uh, on the like uh, myths of Catholic history. I, had a, I forgot exactly what the term is, but it's so good. It's just like a reference book and it goes through like all the ages and the things that generally people gravitate towards. And we're, we're mostly evangelized by like the secular society about like like, um, you know, religions cause war. I, I, I learned this fact, which is really cool. Do, do you know how many wars in human history, according to the Encyclopedia of Wars, uh, written in 2001, I believe? No, but I'm, I'm ordering that book. So the okay. it's probably $98. Ugh. Okay. Encyclopedia of Wars. <laughs> oh, okay. war. 2002. It's secular, not not faith. But That's what I want. How many, war, yeah. how many wars were started because of religion? Yeah. I, according to this one, it was uh, about 1,700 uh, sorry, no, no, wars in human history. That's hu wars in human history. Okay. And then I believe of of those, it was about 300 or so that were uh, religious in, in, in uh, you know, in, in some form. And uh, and that just gives you an idea of, like, I think it, it ends up being around less than seven wars in history. Um, obviously, you start getting into definitions a little bit of like what you know how do you classify a war but it's just a really interesting take on and and some raw data behind like uh, religions and war and uh so anyways that one's given to me for my birthday by my wife tate so oh she bought you that she yeah. bought you that. that's awesome yeah 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 well, God bless um, your wife. Maybe I should put it on my birthday list because that's what, yeah. I, what I do with the expensive books I want. It goes on my yeah. birthday list. There you go. Because my there wife monitors my my spending on, on my spending on books. There you go. Um, how about you? What are you up to? Well, you know, this week I've really been been reading around. I've been reading a lot on Saint Athanasius. Oh, cool. And um, and Saint John and Saint John's writings and the, and the writings of his students. And what inspired that was an article that I wrote uh, about two weeks ago about an experience I had on Mother's Day, mm -hmm. where I guess it was less than two weeks ago, where an experience I had on Mother's Day where a politician went up uh, who was pro-abortion and was was uh, voted to legalize assisted suicide. I approached him and, and asked him not to receive communion. And then, um, and I, I, we can put the link to the article in the show notes. And, and then I asked the ushers to let father know he was there and that, you know, appealing to Canon law 915, he's a scandal. It's sacrilegious. He shouldn't present himself to, to communion. And then I went up in front of the parish and made an announcement that he, that, that Willis Spiro is here. He is pro-abortion and he voted for assisted suicide. He shouldn't be presenting himself to communion. We shouldn't be giving him communion. And if we do, it's sacrilege. And he brings shame to the names of all of the families that belong to this parish. And I sat down and then I wrote an article about that. And so I was looking to St. Athanasius as sort of a man who had to, what do you do when the political leaders are against you? The church hierarchy is against you or apathetic and most of the laity are apathetic or against you. And so I was like, you know what? I'm looking to Athanasius. And then in reading Athanasius, a lot of the books that I was reading about Athanasius, um, I was looking to, I, I love um, the gospel of John. 
You know, it's, mm. it's just so beautiful. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, if I'm going to look to the church fathers this summer, I'm going to look to those who were associated with St. John and leading up to Athanasius. So that was just sort of how I tripped in. And that's how probably you study. It's just like you read one thing that, so I'm studying Athanasius. And the next thing you know, I'm reading Polycarp and Ignatius and Irenaeus. And then I'm like, okay, let me go back to John and the book of Revelations. And then you're like, wow, the, the book of Revelations is so mysterious. Well, how did it influence his students and the students of his students? Well, they're very prolific writers. Let's go read. Even if they're not addressing it, it's there in their, in, in their imagination. They're living in in a post, um, in a world after that was written and they, they were well aware of it, but they were still very practical. Do you know that one thing I got from my readings this week on the church fathers, Mm -hmm. the two things that they were obsessed with was organization of the church Hmm. and the hierarchy. So, so, so to my evangelical friends out there who are like, I do not believe in organized religion. The students of the apostles were very much concerned about the organizational structure of the church. They were, well, because they were knitting it together, right? I mean, they were knitting it together. It couldn't have been knit together by people who weren't thoughtful of it. So into the first, second, and third century, this was something that was top of mind. And also, and this is where, again, I was looking to this as the obedience to one's bishop. How do I, as a layman who really, you know, as uh, Ignatius said, that we shouldn't take a step without thoughtfulness from our, you know, without thinking about our bishop's wants. And so, so here I am, you know, going in front of my parish, making an announcement about this guy there. So it made me ponder and wonder, um, how do I respond when, and I do believe that it is a heresy of our age, the denial of the truth of the human person. Huh. So when you are a pro-abortion Catholic, you are denying that the human person is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. You are denying scripture and tradition and church teaching. You are denying the incarnation, right? You are denying the second. All of that follows. When you say you are pro-abortion, you are either thoughtless and you're probably thoughtless, right? You (laughs) You probably don't think about these things a lot. And if you're thoughtful... You're like, no, I'm thoughtful. Then be honest with yourself. You do not believe we were made in the image of God. You do not believe in the Trinity. You do not believe the second person of the Trinity became man. Because if you believe those things, you would want to, with all of your being, protect the human person from violence. Like, it addles me to the point of driving me mad. And... I just can't imagine a politician could hold to the Trinity, hold to the incarnation, hold to the truth of Catholic anthropology, and yet say, eh, I'm pro-abortion. So why would we let somebody who denies the whole of the faith receive communion? Yeah. And that's what happened? Uh, Oh, he received communion. That's why I wrote the article. Oh, man. Was this St. Jude's? No, this wasn't St. Jude. What happened is there was a a young woman who's homeless, and she's uh, living in a shelter. And so she asked us to meet her at this parish for Mass and with her her daughter because it was Mother's Day, and we were inviting her over for brunch. By the way, a beautiful young woman, happy, joyful, raising her child alone. The church has been helping her, and... um, and my family's been helping her. She's just she's just a ray of sunshine, her and her young child. And she just recently came into the church. And, and here's what's funny about this. I have, make a habit of challenging politicians who are not pro-life when they come when they walk through the door of my parish. Do not present <laughs> yourself to communion. I've been doing it since I've been Catholic, since before I've been Catholic. Um, and and but this day I didn't want to do it because I said to my wife, my wife saw him. She goes, look, it's Willis Spiro. He's here. You go tell him not to receive communion. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want this young woman to walk in on an argument. It could escalate. And um, she said, my wife said, if you don't do it, nobody will. You go tell him not to receive communion. I started walking to him. And I walked back because I just I didn't want to create a scandal. This young woman's got enough trouble. She doesn't need to walk in on her host arguing with somebody. Right. Yeah. And so I walked back. I said, no, 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 I can't do it. Not not this week. And my wife said, you need to go do it. And my kids were like, Dad, go say something. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so I'm like, ay, ay, ay. Why don't you go say something? You care so much. No, so I go, I go say something. You know, I say, Will, don't present yourself to communion. He gets in my face. He steps on my shoe, you know. And, and by the way, 
he did a very good job of making me very angry. People were thanking me for my courage, but they should be thanking me for my self-control <laughs> at this point. And I was like, lots of thoughts were going through my mind. And if this young woman wasn't coming that day, God knows how I would have responded. But uh, and then I went to the usher and said, you know, Willis Spiro's here. He's pro-abortion. Please do not let him present himself to communion. Please let Father know. Well, of course, he, he did present himself to communion. The usher came up to me after mass and lectured me a little bit about, you know, I sh- this is not the place for that. And I said, well, you know, Willis Spiro's pro-abortion, right? He goes, no, he's not. I said, yes, he is. And he is a young Filipino man. Willis Spiro's Filipino and ethnic voting is a big part of Hawaii. It's probably a big part of most places. And so this man is a man, you know, he's a big man in the community. Well, when my article published and it was on a, a Hawaii Facebook page, it was shared there. This guy liked it and then sent me a personal message thanking me for informing him. And he was going to work to make sure he never received communion. Yeah. It, 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 um, at Immaculate Conception again. And then on the way home from mass, I said to my wife and kids, cause it did get a little heated. I said, uh, I'm sorry, and I went and spoke in front of the parish, right? So I said, if I embarrassed you in any way, I apologize. And they were all at once, no, Dad, that's what you should do. And my wife's <laughs> like, why would we be embarrassed? I'd be ashamed if you didn't go and say something. And and by the Holy Spirit, I didn't know the young woman. I thought she lived near the parish, like walking distance, but she was late. So she, by the grace of God, didn't see any of this. And she said afterwards, oh, I had to take the bus and my bus was late. So, and that was my big fear. We don't want the church. And I say to people, Eucharist isn't a weapon, but this is about sacrilege. But that's not even where my heart was. My heart was, here I am, a man who lost a child. And we didn't even talk about it in the show. Maybe in the show notes, we'll put my story and how I got involved in the pro-life movement. That can be the whole topic of a podcast. But um, here I am, a man who lost a child to a forced abortion while I was 17. Um, when my high school girlfriend's prominent Catholic father, you know, dragged her to a Masonic hospital for an abortion. And... Um, here I see a prominent Catholic man receiving communion who is a big advocate of abortion. And I felt betrayed by that parish. I felt, felt betrayed by the church. And, you know, that day I went home and I didn't think about it till the next day. I was reading all of these writings from the Orthodox Church. Mm. Uh, Seraphim Rose, Father Seraphim Rose, who is a beautiful, was a beautiful Orthodox priest. And I was listening to Father Seraphim Rose talks on YouTube that night, which all Catholics should listen to. And his book on nihilism is great. But the next day I thought, that's how profound of a scandal it was. That was my subconscious, like crawling for a way to maybe leave the Catholic Church and become Orthodox, which will never happen. I say that that I daydream about becoming Eastern Orthodox the way liberals dream about becoming Canadians. Like, it's a nice idea, but it ain't ever going to happen. <laughs> you know, mm. I, I am a Catholic, but that's... And when I was looking back at just my own response, I went home and was reading all of these books, just not thinking about it. Went to my shelf, went to my yard, and I was reading Father Sarah from Rose. I thought that was the scandal of this man receiving communion. Not, not so much that. The scandal of our community allowing this man to receive communion. And if you're not, you're not Catholic, you, you know, and this may not be connecting with you, but you have to understand that if any Catholic commits a mortal sin, they should not present themselves to communion, to confession. And if you are a public scandal, then you need to confess in a very public way as well. Like if you're a pro-abortion politician, um, or if you're a member of the Freemasons, then you need to like, you need to let people know, like I resigned from this, or I am, mm. uh, I, I am now pro-life and I am, you know, and like we were told that uh, the Ted Kennedy uh, prior to death repented from being for being pro-abortion. And I, and I really hope really? that. Yeah, that's what we're told. Just, just rumors. Well, that's why he was allowed to have a, a Catholic funeral. That's that's. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's a little more than rumors. And maybe I'm revealing inside information from a friend. <laughs> That I shouldn't. Beep, beep. We'll bleep it. No, we don't have to beep it. They probably won't listen, and we won't tell them. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but theologically, like it is, it seems like sacrilege. Well, it is sacrilege, but ultimately, you're actually caring for him, right? I mean, because if, if if he takes the Eucharist, it hurts him probably more than than the the creator of the universe. <laughs> That's a true story. And yes, Mario, 
That's my motivation. No, that's, I, I, I say that in my article. That's not my motivation. And, you know, then these really holy people went in the com box, the comment box. They're like, well, I wouldn't care about, you know, my feelings. I would be caring about his soul. Oh, yes, sure you would. No, no, honestly, I'm not. I wasn't worried about his soul. You know, my mind is like, that's the priest's job, the bishop's job. And I know it's my job, too. But what what Pat, what I'm worried about is the scandal mm. to everyone like me who's post-abortive, how painful that is. What I'm worried about is the child in the womb that will never get a chance at life because of politicians like him and the women who are violated in the most intimate and brutal way by abortion because they see prominent politicians advocate the right to choose as some great, beautiful right. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's where I'm really coming from. But yeah, but where I should be coming from is is concerned for his soul. And and, and I do want to say, listen, I'm not some Puritan on this issue. I realize that the spirit of the age is all powerful and almost, almost everyone conforms to the spirit of the age in almost every way. And so if you're pro-abortion, well, of course you are. The spirit, that's the spirit of the age. Um, if you're a racist in, in Alabama in 1938, well, of course you are. That's the spirit of the age. If you're pro-life in 1940, so what? That's the spirit of the age, too. The spirit of the age isn't awful. Um, it's awful in some places, beautiful in others. And we, that's where we have the Holy Spirit in the church. You know, do we want to trans, we want, we want our age is in, in ways, as much as possible to conform to the transcendent truth, the transcendent moral order. Um, but, you know, I have friends who are elected officials who are pro-abortion, who are not Catholic. And um, and so I, I try to, through the apostolate of friendship, influence them. But when you are a Catholic politician, I'm not going to give you a quarter. You can come to Mass. Come to Mass. Kneel. Stand. Pray. Do not present yourself to communion. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, that's fair. Um, let's wrap it up. I'm, I'm curious a little bit about, um, anything coming up that's interesting and, uh, where to send people, where are you most active so they can make sure that they're, uh, they're following Jason Jones, uh, footsteps. Well, they can follow me on Facebook, my personal Facebook page. We're going to launch a public Facebook page, which I've really not wanted to do. But this multimedia woman who's working with us said, you need a public Facebook page. So we're, we're going to be doing that. But you can follow me on my Jason Jones yeah, a personal Facebook page. Go to our websites. We have two websites, movie2movement.com. The mission of Movie to Movement is to promote human dignity through film and the Vulnerable People Project. And our website there is thegreatcampaign.org. Thegreatcampaign.org, because it's the great campaign to protect the vulnerable from violence. That's the mission of the Vulnerable People Project. We run influence campaigns on behalf of the most vulnerable, from the child in the womb to the Yazidi girl in Sinjar. And uh, you can you can you can follow us there. I have an article coming out next week. It is the definitive response to people who say you are not pro-life if you support the death penalty. And so every time a combox warrior says that, I'm going to give you the definitive response. And by the way, I've worked for the over the past 15 years for a moratorium on the death penalty. I've visited death row inmates. I've lobbied governors face to face. Um on behalf of inmates on death row, yet it is absurd to say that you are not pro-life if you support capital punishment or that abortion and capital punishment are in any way equivalent. They are not. And to say so not only makes it harder for us to fight abortion, it makes it harder for us to get a moratorium on the death penalty. And I walk through that argument. That's awesome. Well, when would that be released? Uh, it's it's probably going to come out Monday. Okay, cool. Um, I'll just make sure to update this um, episode. Thanks, Jason, for giving me the opportunity to be a co-host, guest co-host, I guess you would call it. No, me. you're my partner, Mario. And here's the thing. <laughs> we want people to tell us what they're reading. Tell us. We told you what we're reading. We want to know what you're reading. We want to know what do you want our name to be? The Great Campaign, A Shared Vision, The Jason Jones Show. Or Jason and Mario, Mario and Jason, <laughs> or whatever you want the name to be, you let us know. Let us know the books you're reading. And what else? What else do we want to know from them? There's got to be something else. I think there's something else. I forget. Uh, people to interview. That'd be awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And who do you who do you want us to interview? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I'm working on another article for the next week okay. or two. It's okay. on Jordan Peterson. It's how Ayn Rand saved my life while losing her own and how Jordan Peterson can save yours while losing his. So it's, it's how I think Jordan Peterson is for so many young people today, what Ayn Rand was for me. But the mm. problem is like Ayn Rand, Jordan Peterson has a lot of truths that he plants in thin air. And I am yeah. a big, big admirer of Jordan Peterson. And I think he is a treasure, but yeah. at the end of the day, without grounding what he's saying, and this this soil of the Christian faith, it's leads to nihilism. It's just nihilism delayed. Ooh, I'd love to talk about that next week. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hustle to try to get this done. I am gonna be on daddy duty alone okay. while my wife goes to New York City to visit her father. So I don't know how much writing I'm gonna get done in the next ten days, but I'm gonna try to get these two articles done in the next couple of days. Yeah, I'll try to hustle through the book too. I think I'm a, th- a third through the Peterson. Um, thanks, Jason, for your time. Thank you, Mario. Looking forward to the next one. Aloha. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow me because I am relentless on social media. You can follow me on my personal Facebook page because I like to have a conversation with my friends. You are my friend. I also post a lot on Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and go to my website, movie2movement.com. That's www.movie2movement.com, and you can find out about my latest film projects. Talk to you next week.